this is being recorded because it is. And uh, this is actually new material that no one has ever heard. And uh, you do need to take notes. Remember, if your pictures that you're drawing on your notes are better than your notes, at least in my class, you're probably not going to get full credit unless you're able to also draw and write down all the things we're talking about. Um, and that would be an amazing uh, talent, actually. But we're going to start like we did last week. We're going to start with a prayer. And we'll get into some stuff that I think, if you think about it, it just might change some things in your worldview, which would be awesome. All right, so let's bow our heads, please, in respect, and let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you so much for waking us up today. We know that there's never been a promise that we would uh, live a certain number of years or get to experience certain things in our life. Everything is a gift. It really is, and, and we bless you, and we thank you so much for all that you give to us, all that you do for us. Beautiful day out there. Sun came up. Our friends are here. We go to this amazing school. Teachers that truly care about us and love us. And um, Lord, we are so thankful. We're so full. We're so absolutely stuffed to the gills with blessings. And so much so that sometimes we forget to acknowledge you as the one who has supplied all this to us. So, uh, Yehovah, I pray today that you would grant me the wisdom and the power to say the things that you would have me say to these awesome students. And uh, I pray that it would stick, that it wouldn't go in one ear and out the other, but that we would treasure these things, store these things up in our hearts, meditate on these things day and night, um, because these are the things that matter. These are the questions, the ultimate questions that we have to ask. So, Father, would you be with us? Would you take our sleepiness and make it go away? Uh, give us some divine caffeine from above and just uh, let us be alert and able to um, stay with this entire class today. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 5. You don't have to turn there unless you'd like to, just to make sure I'm not feeding you a line here that's not really true. But the title of this lesson is Got Milk. Does anybody remember the commercials way when you were a little kid that would say, Got Milk? And they'd have some athlete with like a little milk mustache or something, and they're trying to promote everybody drinking their calcium, their milk. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, this is what it says. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you. Again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So what does the author of Hebrews here mean by constant practice? Practice of what? Well, if someone who lives on milk is someone unskilled in the word of righteousness, what do you think someone who lives on solid food is. Good, someone who is skilled in the word. 
We've grown up thinking that there are two types of people in this world, those that are going to hell and those going to heaven. The first group really doesn't need to do anything at all in order to get there. But the second group only needs to believe in Jesus and, you know, save as many people from the first group as possible. And the gospel that we hear preached today is, and ask yourself if this doesn't sound like the gospel that you kind of know. Jesus died to save you from your sins, believe in him for the forgiveness of sins, and you will go to heaven when you die. Does that sound about right? More or less? Yeah. The weird thing is, those words are never spoken, quoted, or even associated with the gospel in the 93 references to the gospel that appear in the renewed covenant or the New Testament. Not once. Isn't that weird? But if you think the gospel is believe in Jesus and when you die, you get to go to heaven, ask yourself, is that what Jesus preached? I don't know, Mr. Dean. I don't know what Jesus preached. Why not? Well, I don't really read a whole lot outside of maybe Bible class. What did John preach? What about Paul or any of the apostles? Did anyone in the entire Bible ever preach the gospel as believe in Jesus and when you die, you get to go to heaven? Now, if the Jewish believers in the Hebrew community still needed milk, this is crazy. The Jewish believers, these are the, these are the people that were raised every Sabbath, going to synagogue, listening to the word of God. These guys are the ones that are on milk. Let me ask you, what are Christians then drinking today if the Jewish believers are being told they're still drinking milk? Can you imagine? What would they say about us? Maybe, yeah. Skim? I would say probably something closer to baby formula, you know? Watered down, diluted baby formula? Because really we've reduced the gospel to a bunch of formulas and uh, very superficial things. The stuff being fed to believers and sometimes to students in Christian schools is being passed off as deep Christian education. But it isn't even milk. It is, it's closer to infant formula. Because we have, we've reduced this to these formulas and these lists of things that require no biblical literacy whatsoever. And they never go deeper than a few centimeters. Yikes. So the Hebrew writer, he lists six things, basic teachings, that those believers should have already mastered several times over. Here's what he says they are. Repentance from dead works. And by the way, as I read this list, ask yourself, do I even know what these things are? Because this is what the Hebrew writer said. These guys should have mastered a long time ago. And we gotta go back over this list? And when I first read this list, I was kinda like, dang. <laughs> well, repentance from dead works, faith toward God, that's number two, 
instruction about baptisms, that's number three, the laying on of hands, please tell me you've mastered the skill of laying on of hands. Oh yeah, I did that like when I was 12. Number five, the resurrection of the dead. Should have already mastered that doctrine. And number six, eternal judgment. Repentance from dead works, faith toward God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And today we're going to focus on the first one, repentance from dead works. We Christians often read this one backwards. What I mean by that is it's not uncommon to hear a preacher or pastor explain this first foundational teaching of Christ as a repentance from keeping the Old Testament law because the term dead works must refer to the commandments in the Old Testament. Now, notes are only as useful as you make them. If you are taking notes and the only reason you're taking notes is to get a grade, that's okay. I understand. I'd probably be in the same boat as you. But if these notes are something you might actually think about a little beyond turning them in tomorrow, then the one thing I really want you to hear is an I'm going to say about three things today that I want you to actually go out and try it out on mom and dad, on your youth minister, on a, the pastor, on any single person in the faith that would claim to be a Christian. I want you to just try it out. Just, just see. What is repentance from dead works? And I'm betting some of them would say that is turning away from doing that Old Testament law. That's what that means. But we'll see if that's truly what it means. Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 22 that I'm also betting you and I don't understand. And when we read a parable like this, we just kind of go, um, all right, and we move on. It's right here, Matthew 22, verse 1 through 14. This is the parable. Oh, and by the way, parables were told to actually make something difficult a little easier to understand. If it's really a difficult concept, I would tell you a parable to make you be able to understand it easier. But what happens when the parable itself is totally incomprehensible? It's like, oh, that was supposed to make it easier? Listen to this. Again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who were invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. 
And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. Awesome. That clears it right up, doesn't it? Guy's dressed wrong, so he gets thrown into eternal damnation. What in the world is going on here, right? Jesus and his apostles firmly equated sin with death. You could put an equal sign between sin and death. Equals. Sin equals death. Death equals sin. Now, the gospel message is found... I've found the gospel message defined in one place and one place only. It's crazy. In Galatians, we can find the gospel message. And it is basically a message of inclusion by proxy. What does by proxy mean? Anybody know? So, old Spencer Bippert here. He'll be famous. Uh, if, If I were to get struck by lightning right now, he would probably be struck by proxy, but Jackson Autry wouldn't. Certainly, uh, Josiah Ray back there would not be struck by the same lightning as me. But what does by proxy mean? And people in, the proximity. in the proximity, in the closeness too, right? That's exactly right. So it's basically a message, the gospel is a message of inclusion by proxy. Until we understand that the nations in the Bible, the nations are the Gentiles. Until you understand that every time the Bible talks about the nations, you could substitute the word Gentiles. What's a Gentile, Gage? Us. That's a great answer. It is us. Okay, what else is a Gentile? How else might I describe a Gentile to somebody? Say, what's a Gentile? Someone that's not a Jew. That's exactly right. Somebody that's not Jewish is a Gentile. So, until we understand that the nations are the Gentiles, us, we are completely lost as to the power and mystery that the gospel entails. The most profound and essential truth that you will ever hear me say, you ready? Is that the Bible actually speaks of two kingdoms of God, two Torahs, two Gospels, and two Christs. See, I bet every time you hear Jesus talking about, to what shall we compare the kingdom of God? You think that's a good thing because he's talking about the kingdom of God, right? And that's got to be good. He's not. Sometimes Jesus talks about the kingdom of God and says, that kingdom of God is a terrible, terrible place. You're like, really? It's true. The Bible has much to say about all of these um, doublets, all of these twos. 
Today we're gonna focus on the gospel and the anti-gospel. You ever heard of an anti-gospel? You ever heard of an antichrist? Yeah, you've heard of the Antichrist. The Antichrist is coming. Well, you've got Christ and then you've got the Antichrist. Well, I'm here to tell you we have a gospel and we have everything else, which would be the anti-gospel. You have a Jew and you have everyone else, the Gentiles, okay? You're going to see this theme over and over. There are two gospels circulating the world today, and both have infiltrated middle and Christian school but I bet you don't know the difference. And that's the brilliance of it. Did you know when Antichrist comes, he's gonna look like Jesus, talk like Jesus, do the same miracles as Jesus, but he's not gonna be him. And the question is, well, how am I supposed to know the difference? Read Revelation. There's a gospel that looks like the gospel, sounds like the gospel, does a lot of the things the gospel does, but it's not the gospel. How do I know the difference? That's why you're sitting here this morning. One is the gospel that you've all heard since you were little munchkins. That gospel says that Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins. And if you believe in him, then you get to go to heaven when you die. Short, sweet, very superficial. So anyone with a pulse then is a pretty good candidate for going to heaven. Yet, do you really think that it's that easy? That's simple. Does the God that swore by no means to clear the guilty and who would visit the sins of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and fourth generation, that's how completely I will take my vengeance on people that cross me. Do you really think he's good with you just going, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Now I'm going to go out and do whatever the heck I want, and I'll be okay. How could that be? How could you have a God that says, I will by no means clear the guilty? Do you think he would let you, a most precious child, do nothing more than just intellectually consent to a set of beliefs? Oh, Jesus is the Son of God. Do you believe that? Uh Uh-huh. You need to be a good person. Yeah, good, yeah. You should treat people kindly. I'll do it. All right, good. And you'll see you in heaven. All right, I'll see you there. Now I'm going to have as much fun as I can in this life before the time, my time's up. Is it enough to go to a Christian school, hang around Christian people, do whatever you want as long as you sprinkle a little Jesus on it, and let it all be okay? I mean, really? You, you don't seriously believe that, do you? And if you do, if you're like, well, dang, Mr. I kind of did until you started talking. This is not your fault, not 100%. I think it's the fault of we who've been instructing you. The Apostle Paul started off his letter to the Galatians, I mean, blazing mad. He had both barrels aimed and he had chambered rounds in both of them. And he just started firing. I mean, that's how he starts the letter of Galatians. Because they have believed in anti-gospel. Let's take a look at Galatians 1. It's, it's actually pretty, uh, pretty awesome. Because to see Paul, to see a, a guy who's an author of one of the books of the Bible, to be so mad that he just loses his stuff completely, it's like, dang. Listen to how he starts out. 
Uh, you know where Galatians is, hopefully, if you've memorized the <clears throat> books of the Bible. Yeah, we've all done that, I'm sure, right? Yay! Okay, Galatians, just go toward the back of the Bible. Paul starts out and he just kind of introduces himself uh, with some credentials in verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men, but, or, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you, peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. I am astonished at your stupidity. Are you kidding me? That's how he starts out. He did all the niceties and the introductions and then he says, I am astonished. Do you know what astonished is? Astonished is when you see something and your jaw literally drops open and you can't say anything. Like if right now they're materialized a cherub angel with wheels and eyeballs everywhere and wings and four faces and it just was spinning and fire was going in and out of it and it was moving in all directions. Like if that just materialized, you would all probably go, that would be astonishment. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Listen, listen. Even if we or an angel, a cherub from heaven were to announce to you a gospel contrary to the one we already preached, may God damn him forever. Did you hear that? You think Paul's okay? Like, yeah, it's, it's good. I know you guys are, you know, young and learning. Paul says, if I were to come to you and say, you remember that gospel that I taught you already? Listen, I need, I forgot something and I need to add to it. Paul says, if an, if an angel from heaven sent from God's side himself appeared to you and said, I am Gabriel. Oh my gosh. I have been sent from God. I mean, you can tell it's an angel because he's flying around and landing, walking through walls. And you, after you get done sucking your thumb and, and rocking back and forth in fetal position, and you kind of get your wits about you, and you say, ah! He says, the gospel that Paul preached to you was wrong. Paul said, even if an angel does that, may God damn him. God damn anybody who tries to do that to you. Paul is so serious about this gospel and this anti-gospel. And then what he says, for am I now seeking your approval or of God? Or am I trying to please you? If I were still trying to please man, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. I mean, Paul is so upset because of what's happened in this church. Somebody came in after Paul and said, Paul is an awesome guy. And they went, yeah, go Paul. And Paul taught you guys well, you Gentiles. He did a great job. However, he did leave one thing out. What? Yeah, Paul, um, did he not mention to you guys about circumcision? Oh, yeah, I mean, you have to be, everything else Paul said was exactly right, but you have to be circumcised in order to be justified. 
as a son of Abraham. Did he not mention that? And the whole church went, no. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's all throughout the Bible. Yeah, you have to be. Yeah, he probably meant that. But, and they all went, oh, no. We haven't done that. And so somebody said, let's write Paul and, and, and find out what happened, why Paul forgot that. Paul gets the letter, and this is his response. He starts out with, are you kidding me? Did I not tell you this would happen? What are you doing? What is your problem? Right? He's mad because somebody has done the exact same thing that he'd already taught them would happen. So, I want to unpack what just happened in Galatians 1. Paul stated that any, even the most insignificant deviation from what he had preached to them as the gospel was a bastardization of it. To change one word, one letter, to forget one dot over one letter I, it's no longer the gospel. That's the anti-gospel. He goes so far to say, anyone that tries to do that, may he be condemned eternally to hell. May he be himself a sacrifice. May God torch him where he stands. And may he be his own sin sacrifice. I mean, this guy is angry. So the next question is, what is the gospel that should not, cannot, possibly be changed? What is that gospel? And this is where I would encourage you in your notes, ask anyone who claims to be a Christian, just ask them one simple question. This, we don't ask questions to be able to say, hey, dummy, you didn't know that. I learned in SLC that you're a dum-dum. That's not why you ask questions. You're asking questions to get an education. Do our parents, grandparents, pastors, preachers, teachers, do these people that are teaching us, do they know what the gospel is? You know, come on. Everybody knows what the gospel is. Really? I would do this if we had time. I would ask four or five of you to tell me, please, what the gospel is. And do you know how many answers I'd get? Four or five. If I asked all 75 or 100 of you, guess how many different answers I'd get. As many people as you ask what the gospel is, they're going to tell you what they think it is. But do you realize that the very fact that people can't say what the gospel is the same way every time tells you that Paul's first letter, first chapter, is absolutely true of you and me. What have you added to it? What did you take away from it? When you ask your pastor, hey, what's the gospel? And he says, John three sixteen, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him should have eternal life. That's the gospel. Say, uh, man, you just added tons to it or maybe took away from it. Why is it, and I will tell you what's going to happen, what I predict would happen, that if you were to ask anybody who claims to follow Jesus, hey, uh, we're learning stuff in school. Can you tell me what the gospel is? Just listen and hear what they say. And if you get at least two different answers, you at least know Huh, that's not good. Because Paul said, this is the gospel. Anyone changes it. And by the way, a change might be, oops, I forgot a part of it. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm not trying to be the antichrist. I just, I forgot a part of it. That's not the gospel. That's weird. 
So, the next question is, what is the gospel? In Galatians 3 and verse 8, Paul thankfully defines the gospel for us. And it's very different from what you've ever heard in your life. Mr. Dean, why am I 17 and I'm just hearing this? Well, there's plenty of reasons that I could give you. Maybe we're biblically illiterate. Maybe we don't read the Bible. Maybe our preachers and teachers don't read the Bible like they should. Maybe we've been severed from our Hebraic roots. Maybe we just don't understand. I don't know. There's lots of reasons. But in verse 8, this is what Paul says. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles through faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Well, that's an old gospel. Saying, in you shall all the nations, what does nations mean? Gentiles, in you, God is preaching to Abraham. Hey, you're going to be Abraham. In you, all the Gentiles are going to be blessed. That's it. That is the gospel. I truly believe. In Abraham, all the Gentiles will be blessed. Now, you may be sitting there going, what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? Good question, because it's not intuitive. And Paul's going to go on to speak about what he means. If you're interested in what that means, it's a chapter. You can read it. It takes five minutes. But my point is, that any change, any summary, any paraphrase, any addition, any subtraction to that gospel is grounds in Paul's mind for eternal damnation. So, if we don't even know what the gospel is, how is it that we think we've got the rest of the Bible figured out? How can that be? Galatians and Ephesians. If you want, turn your Bibles to Ephesians 3. And this is pretty awesome. If you're sitting there going, I've never heard this before. I didn't know the gospel. Was. I thought the gospel was about Jesus. It is. But you'll have to read Galatians, the rest of 3, to get how it's about Jesus. But in Ephesians chapter 3, this is what Paul says. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What's the big deal about the gospel? Angels had no idea what the mystery of the gospel was. From Abraham all the way through, all the patriarchs, all the way to Jesus. Nobody got the gospel. 
They didn't fully understand it. Paul says, I got it. Do you know what it is? Um, and you're probably sitting there not falling out of your chair because, whoa, that's just mind-blowing. But the gospel is, the mystery is, you Gentiles get to be part of God's family, part of Israel, not through circumcision and not through becoming Jewish. You don't have to become Jewish to become part of the family. You just have to be part of the family through the faith of Christ. That's, that's awesome and it's still probably a little cloudy, but we can figure that out later. I just wanted you to hear Paul say, I got the, I got the mystery of the gospel. Verse seven, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. All right, so, so Paul says, God told me to come and, and preach this gospel to you guys. Well, what about you? Did you know what the gospel was before this class? Do you understand the intricacies of the mystery of the gospel as revealed to Abraham and passed on through the ages until this day, until this time right now? Do you understand how the Gentiles are to be included into the nation of Israel? If so, what's your tribe? Because there's only 12 of them. And which one's yours? Gentiles. How do you get in? I didn't know how to be part of a tribe. Yeah. There's only 12 gates that get into heaven. And each of those gates is a tribe of Israel. So how do you Gentiles think you're getting in? I just thought I had to believe in Jesus. Be kind of a good guy. Not kick babies for fun. Not run over cats. Just, I just thought I had to go to church every once in a while, go to Christian school, so I have to come in through a gate? Yeah. All the gates are tribes? Yeah. And Gentiles have a tribe? Yeah. Okay. This is all news to me, Mr. Dean. Yeah. It's crazy. It shouldn't be. But again, it's all of our fault. Do you understand how the Gentiles are coming in? Do you understand the rites of passage? Can God have more than one wife? Can God be a polygamist? If not, God has already eternally promised that his bride is Israel. Yet in the New Testament, Jesus is coming for his bride. And who's his bride? The church. So God is a polygamist. God can have two wives at the same time. Yikes. Spencer's like, back up, Mr. Dean. I don't want that lightning coming through and striking me too. That's really what we're saying is God can marry two different women. He's pretty serious about that not being okay. Do you realize that most of the people that approached Jesus asking to be his disciple, he actually tried to talk them out of it? Now, why would he do that? If he could talk them out of being his disciple, then he would just prove that they weren't ready to be his disciple in the first place. Guys, repentance is not a once in a lifetime event. You don't do it before you get baptized and then you're off the hook. Do you even know what repentance is? We've heard that it's to stop doing what you're doing and do the right thing, right? That's to repent from your 
your sins. Repent, at least in Greek, is a military term and it means about face. What's an about face? 180. That's, a, that's, that's to repent. In Hebrew, repent means return. It means to return. But your question and mine should be, return to what? Return to God. Oh, that's very noble. I need to return to God, right? I need to return to Jesus. Try to define that one for me. Fox, what does it mean to return to Jesus? Oh, love him? Great answer. What does it mean to love Jesus? Do what he said? Great answer. What did he say? I don't know. It's in the Bible somewhere. See how lost we actually are when you push on our definitions? What's the purpose of repentance? It's to return, to stop going the way you're currently going and turn back to the way God wants you to go. What will that do? It's supposed to produce fruit, fruit of righteousness. The fruit is as real as an apple you might see hanging on a branch of a tree. Did you realize that apple is a smaller version of an entire apple tree? The apple is, has 30, 40 little apple trees inside of it, right? What would you do with an apple tree that produced no apples? Would you water it and tend it and put fertilizer on it and keep spending your money to cultivate it knowing it wasn't producing apples? Now, let me ask you to be honest with yourself for just a moment. What righteous fruit does the music you listen to produce in your life? What righteous fruit does the way you talk produce in your life? What righteous fruit do the movies or games or the way you spend your free time produce in your life? What righteous fruit do your actions with your boyfriend or your girlfriend produce? The gospel message demands that we return. Repentance means to return from sin and all unrighteousness. And did you know that the Bible defines sin as a violation or breaking of the commandments of God? You mean like in the New Testament? No, I don't mean like in the New Testament. I mean like to begin with the Ten Commandments. Ask anyone you know to tell you what sin means. And I wonder if people actually realize that sin is not doing bad stuff, whatever that means, or disobeying rules. Sin is breaking God's Torah. Sin is breaking the Ten Commandments. And even one sin, read Romans, one sin will keep you out into eternal darkness. One sin. So I got Jesus. I'm good. But what if you continually break God's commandments every day, unintentionally and especially intentionally? Did you know the Bible in a different place says there is no forgiveness for he who intentionally sins, for he crucifies Christ all over again every time? There's no forgiveness for those. Oh, dang. I thought if I just went and asked for forgiveness, I'd, I'd be okay. God says, no, that's called abuse. 
and I won't tolerate it. Sin and breaking God's Torah. That's weird. What's that mean? Sin specifically breaks God's rules. 1 John 3, 4, you can just write it down. Romans 5, 13, Romans 7, 7. I will never tell you something that I cannot back up with good evidence. And I would never read a verse in the Bible. I just give you those verses to give you a reference, but I'd read the entire chunk. If you want to know in the New Testament what sin is, read in the New Testament sin. The New Testament is going to tell you sin is breaking the Old Testament. What? Yes. Many believers have honestly never taken this first step. Many of us have never really returned because we don't even know what we're supposed to return to. We believed and we received, but we've been allowed, or we've allowed the world and its temptations to kind of lull us into complacency, being okay with where you are. Are you okay with where you are right now? No, I wish I was in bed. Okay, I don't mean that. I mean your state spiritually. I know behind every tough guy that I look into their eyes and they look at me like, drop dead, Mr. Dean, I'm so bored. That's great. I know deep down inside you are scared to death and you should be. Am I gonna go to heaven? Am I gonna get caught? Is God gonna hold me accountable? Yes, he is. And yes, you can know if you are going to heaven. You can have the confidence that I have. I know for a fact I'm going to heaven. And am I any more righteous than you? Not even close. You don't know me very well if you think I'm a good guy, because I'm not. If there's anything good in me, it's Christ. That's it. The man without wedding clothes, remember that guy? The banquet symbolizes the kingdom. The son is Jesus, but what do those wedding clothes represent? See, you have to go to Revelation in order to get the answer because it's not in Matthew 22. Here's what Revelation says. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen of the wedding is the righteous deeds of the saints. The man had no wedding clothes. The man had no righteous deeds. He had produced no fruit of righteousness in his life. He was an appleless apple tree. Do you know what the righteous deeds are that we are supposed to produce? Turn to Matthew 19 real quick. Last verse, last scripture that we're turning to. Matthew 19. We ought to all know where Matthew is. Just listen to Jesus. It's so much easier. He's not that difficult to understand. Matthew 19, 16. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, Rabbi, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And notice how Jesus does not say, Hey, psst, come here. All right. Here in a year or so, I'm going to die on the cross. And all this whole Old Testament commandment stuff's going away. You just need to believe in me. And when you die, you'll go to heaven. He doesn't say that. He's been waiting since the foundation of the universe to be in this moment. 
And yet what he says to the guy that says, hey, what righteous deeds do I need to be doing in order to get into the kingdom? Jesus says, you know the commandments. Keep them and you will live. He doesn't say, well, we're all going to form a new church. It's going to be called Christianity and we don't have to keep those doggone laws anymore. Woohoo! You just have to love God and love your neighbor. He does not say that. He says, you know the commands. Keep them and you'll live. And the guy says, which ones? And Jesus says, are you serious? Okay. Uh, don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. Where are those things found? God? The Old Testament. Weird. Last thing, how much like the world around you do you look? How much does your life look like the pursuit of money, pleasure, self-gratification, and time off? How does your life differ from the culture around you, honestly? How much sin is too much? How much sin is okay with you? You will most likely wake up tomorrow, bless God. When you do, you will have a decision to make. Will you continue to do the same things in the same way that you always do, or will you make a break from your pattern? Will you sever yourself from the law breaking in your life and turn and surrender your life to God and his commandments? I hope so. If any of this resonates with you, there are plenty of people around this place that can answer questions that you may have. I'm one of them. And long after I'm not here anymore, you can still get a hold of me. It's called email. It works great. And you can have my email. But you got Mr. Hutchinson, Mr. Jung, Ms. Vargas, Ms. Hutton, Mr. Elliot, Ms. Brunson, Ms. Mile, everybody. They all adore you and would do anything for you, even answer hard questions. And when you get answers you don't know or like, keep asking. Ask other people. If you get answers that are confusing, keep asking people until you start to hear a consistency and weigh it with the evidence that you search for yourself. All right, guys, thank you for your attention. We need to get this cafeteria set up for the tiny humans that are coming in to eat lunch in about 15 minutes. Thank you. Yes, sir. Yes. So they're synonyms. It would be like me telling you um, your head and your noggin. He who hits somebody in the head will be, you know, fined $100. Whoever hits somebody in the noggin will be fined $100. So. The gospel is all the nations, or Gentiles, because it's the same word in Hebrew, it's goyim. Goyim means nations and Gentiles both, because the Gentiles are the nations. So all the nations of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. Now, if I said it like this, through Abraham, all the nations will be blessed, I'm not actually changing the gospel. Changing the gospel, modifying it would be, some of the nations of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. That would be a modification and not allowed. Or 
the nations of the earth will be blessed through Abraham and through Jacob and through, I don't know, Noah and through Adam. That would be an addition. So those would be no-nos. Good question though.